Hello and welcome. You're listening to season one of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes talk about trauma of various kinds. So listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people who understand exactly what you're going through and who can help. If you're looking to connect more closely with that village, join us on Facebook in the group Your Village by following the link at the top of today's show notes. When you join, enter your email to receive our free monthly resource. Hopefully you'll learn something new, hear something interesting, or truly just be reminded that you're not alone. Without any further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today I have with me Tammy, who is a mom and medical professional who has a child with a mental health diagnosis, and she is in the process of writing a book about her experience navigating the medical system. Tammy, welcome. Thank you so much, Michelle. Of course. So can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to the point where you are now writing a book about this very important topic? (laughs) Well, um, so I've been in uh, medicine. I'm a registered nurse and I've been doing this for now three decades. But at that point, you know, I was still a newer nurse. And um, my um, my child's father is a physician. So hmm. I think we would really have a handle on how the healthcare system works. Um, so I've uh, taken on this project. Um, It's called, my book's called My Daughter's Ugly Blue Socks. And Mm. it's based on the socks that they give them when they go into the hospital, those little grippy socks. Oh yeah, with the uh, the, like plastic bits on the bottom so they don't slip. I know those well. Yes, because all I could think of when I saw those socks on her was, those are the ugliest blue socks I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so... Um, kind of my background is um, my daughter, she was about 13 years old, started to have um, some mental problems. We weren't sure why, um, started to develop depression, anxiety. Um, she just wasn't herself. She's always been this vibrant, outgoing, you know, happy life of the party type personality. And she suddenly became quiet, withdrawn. Um, she was a shell. That's what mm-hmm. I, I think of her. She was a shell of what she was. Like her, the spirit had been removed from her. And oh. um, we weren't sure why. Um, she had been bullied in school. So we're like, oh, it must be bullying. Um, we thought, okay, is she into drugs? You know, um, we even um, bought the kits to drug test her because oh, wow. we didn't know we didn't know what was going on, and we yeah. were trying to be proactive. Um, so um, about thirteen years old, this starts, and um, you know, I'm I'm a busy mom working full time, and of course, 
you know, at that age, they start to shut down anyway. Friends are important. Mom and dad are less so. They want the door closed. They don't want to talk to you. They Mm -hmm. want to be on their computers and their phones 24-7. So as she became more depressed, she became anxious. She also started to become obsessed with suicide. So she would watch videos on suicide. Um, there was a book that came out about the time that um, she was that age, um, The 13 Reasons Why. Right. I remember um, I didn't read the book, but I remember seeing the Netflix yes. show. that right. they made. And it is now a Netflix show. Um, sorry, I can't tell you who wrote the book. I don't know off the top of my head. Anyway, um, same story, young girl you know, about that age and what she went through. So my daughter read the book. um, And like I said, she was watching videos on suicide and um, who knows what else she was researching. I, those are just the things I knew she was doing. And And um, that alone, I mean, terrifying, terrifying, you know, and I, I try not to react. So one night sitting on my couch, watching TV, I get a phone call from her best friend in a panic. Her friend says she's going to kill herself. And I'm like, what? And she said, she's been collecting pills and she's going to take them. And um, you need to stop her. So she was in her room. We went in there, opened the door. I'm like, where's all the pills? And she's like, you know, and of course she denies it. Um, uh, She gave us the pills she had, and she had this little box and she was collecting pills in it, different pills that she kind of got from, I'm, I'm assuming she like handpicked through our pills that we had at home. And then, um, they were like Tylenols and different cold medicines and, um, blood pressure medicines, that type of stuff. Um, and you know, if you take one of those, it's not going to hurt you, but if you take them all together, you can really do some severe damage to your body. Yeah. And I found razor blades, I found condoms, you know, I found, and I'm, and I was more in shock. So I took the stuff from her and kind of went through a room at that point. Um, And that night she was on suicide watch. So mom slept in the bed with her, (laughs) which she didn't appreciate, but um, I slept with her the whole night because there wasn't much I could do at that point. Next morning I call, you know, the hotline number for suicide Mm -hmm. and um, they connect me with the group, um, in my area, um, for how to get her help. Well, I talked with them and they said, well, we have no room in the facility she would go to because oh my where God. I live, yeah. And this is normal. This is very, very normal. Um, our facility's full. They can't take any more kids. We're at max capacity. Um, so And then, of course, they say, well, if it gets bad, take her to the emergency room. If it gets bad, it's bad. It's already bad. bad. Oh, my God. That, in fact, makes me upset because I'm a nurse. I know what an emergency room looks like. The last thing you want to do is take your um, suicidal child to an emergency room that's full of everything else going on. And then you're asking the doctors and nurses in there, here, help my kid. 
they're not suicide prevention people. That's not what they train to do. They train to take care of people that are in emergency situations that is physically related, not mentally related. Right. And to ask them to take that burden on, I, I have a problem with that. And so I said, well, that's not a choice for me. And I explained why. And um, they said, well, you know, we'll give you a number of a place and see if you can get her help. So I'm on the phone with insurance. I'm on the phone um, with the this outpatient um, services, behavioral health services I can get her. Um, couldn't get her in. So, okay, fine. Um, we put her um, in this program and it was a, it's called a partial hospitalization program. So three nights a week for like three hours, she was with counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, group counseling, um, where she started to learn different therapies, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, different ways to cope with your stress and, you know, emotionally what you're going through. And they put on medicine to help. And so three nights a week for three hours, I sat while she went to these, these classes and one night a week for one hour, they had a parent class. <laughs> so we'd sit in this parent class and then they would try to explain to us what our kids were going through. And there was a lot of parents who were sad. There was a lot of parents who were angry. Um, you know, emotions were all over the place and they would have us try to do these exercises that she, they said were similar to what our kids were going through. So about, I don't know, I would say about four weeks into the program, I got a phone call from her school and said, Hey, you know, you need to come pick her up. She's not doing well. She seems really depressed. She said she's suicidal, mm. go home, pick her up from school. And I said, well, let's see if we can maybe get you into the behavioral health program. And so I called again and they said, okay, we have one opening. If you hurry up, we might be able to give it to you. So my daughter decided at that point, she went into her bathroom and apparently she had a um, razor blade and oh took it and sliced, sliced her um, wrist open and then proceeded to wrap it with gauze. Oh my God. Covered up or, you know, she's got her things and she's got her hoodie on, you know, go, we go to this place. So she's hitting it from you. So you can't see it. No. Yes. Then that, that was the point. Um, so we go to this place and, um, you know, we fill out all this paperwork and, um, then they take her back, do an assessment on her, you know, ask her questions. Um, and so I, at the time didn't realize she had done that. Anyway, they agreed to accept her to the program. Um, it's an in-hospitalization behavioral health program. So she is monitored 24-7, and then they keep them there anywhere from three days up to a couple weeks, depending on how they're doing. And it also depends on how your insurance is. Right. So if you have good insurance, you get to stay longer. If you have basic coverage, you may only get three days out of it. Which so I, you know... We'll have to talk about that later because I cannot <laughs> tell you how angry that makes me yeah. that the safety and security of our children is based in part on what kind of insurance we have and how much they're willing to pay. I just, that, exactly ugh, that boils my blood, but, exactly. but please continue. So you're in the hospital, your daughter's been accepted to this inpatient right. and, treatment um, so facility. 
So they take her back, do what they need to. Um, they finally allow me to see her at that point. And I see this baby in my book, you know, she's 13 years old, but yeah, she's my baby. And she comes walking towards me, um, kind of with like this little smirk smile on her face. She's wearing a hospital gown and she's got her little tight jeans on <laughs> with all the little rips in them. And then she's got on these blue socks. And all I could think at that time was looking at those socks and going, those are the ugliest blue socks I've ever seen. <laughs> I know that's weird, but that's all that went through my mind, you know, my yeah. baby. Um, and you're probably in this moment of shock. I mean, you're I just was. sort of operating on instinct at that point. And, and all I could focus on was those stupid socks for some reason. They went over, they said, they're going to keep her. And um, we could visit. We got one hour in the mid-morning and one hour mid-afternoon, and that was it. We weren't allowed to visit more than that, but they said we can check, call and check on her. So I told her, okay, you know, I'm going to call. I'm going to call every night and check on you, and I'll be here tomorrow morning to see you. So I went home that evening, went to her bathroom, and that's when I found all the blood. Oh, God. And I found the razor blade, and um, I... I didn't know it at the time, but later on, she told me, mom, they wouldn't take me the first time. So I was going to make sure they took me this time. So mm -hmm. my girl split her wrists so that she would get accepted into this program. Oh, my God. <clears throat> that, oh, there's so much to unpack right there. Yeah. She, first of all, your daughter is amazing. <laughs> Let me just say that because I'm going to cry as I say this, but at 13, she knew she needed help and she was going to do whatever she was fighting for her life. She, she was, was fighting for her life. And mm -hmm. she did that to herself, not because she didn't want to live, but because she did. She and that is just, oh my God. And you the know? fact that she had to fight, she fought for her help because the system wasn't going to give it to her because we were too full. Right. So my little you know, 13 year old, in her brain, she's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to make this work. <laughs> so how anyway, strong and that, how amazing is she? <laughs> she is. And as a parent, all I could think that night was I failed. I failed her. And I just sobbed and sobbed. And I think that was the lowest point of my life. Yeah. It was, was knowing that I had to, I couldn't help my daughter and I had to put her into a hospital and hope they could help her. But you know what? Let me stop you because <laughs> you didn't fail her because you raised someone so strong that in her lowest moment, she was still fighting. And in her lowest moment, she knew not only that she wanted to fight, but she knew how to fight. And she knew how to fight even when we, the adults in her life, didn't. So you didn't fail her. <laughs> you did amazing. And you got her exactly where she needed to be. Thank you. And I could tell you though, I didn't feel that way at that point. Um, and I, well, I blame myself because I myself have, um, have problems with depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And all I could think was I did, I'm the one who did this to her. I 
genetically pass this on to her or behave because of my behaviors, I pass this on to her. Yeah. So um, it was a hard night for me. And um, then they allowed her to stay in the program. She was in there for about a week. And I was there every morning to visit for that hour. And then every evening I was there to visit for that hour. The hard part was it was over an hour drive from where I lived. Oh God. So when I'd go there, I'd stay for the entire day. So I'd have to find something to do in between those hours to keep myself busy until I could see her again. Talking about access, if you have a full-time job, what do you do? How do you do that? Well, fortunately, I had been at my job for quite a while at that point. And my boss at the time, I just said, look, my daughter's having problems. I need to be with her. I need to mm-hmm. be off for this time frame." And fortunately, he understood because he had a daughter who was who had gone through something similar. Oh, wow. So at least I had an advocate for me. I know not everyone has that. I, I felt pretty fortunate at that point. Her father wasn't able to take as much time off as I was, but he would be there every evening to visit Mm -hmm. her. So um, this went on for about a week. At the end of the hospitalization, she'd had some therapy there and they readjusted the medications they had put her on. And then we continued the outpatient program we had already been started in. At one point in the program, I was, I was beyond frustrated. I just, I told her counselor one day, I said, I said, you know, you're teaching us all of these coping mechanisms and how to identify our behaviors and our emotions and how to deal with them and what they could be related to. I said, why are we waiting until we're sick to learn this stuff? Why aren't we, why aren't we learning this stuff when we're younger? I mean, I'm a, I'm a nurse. And this whole behavioral therapy program, I've heard of when I went through nursing school and it was probably a one day lecture. And then I never heard about it again. And this isn't something we're teaching in our schools. And I was, you know, I was so frustrated at that point. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why are we waiting until we're sick to learn about this stuff? Why aren't we learning about it before this? And of course, (laughs) the counselor told me, well, maybe you'd need your therapy yourself. And I was so offended by that. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but honestly, I did. I did need therapy. And it probably took me about another six months to a year before I actually took her advice. But um, so she finished the program, went back to school. And then all of a sudden, her father got really sick. And he wound up in the hospital. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to trigger something again. And sure enough, it did. She became suicidal again. She didn't do anything this time, but, you know, she had her plan, what she wanted to do. So I called, um, I called up the person who she was seeing at that point for therapy. Um, They recommended her back to the outpatient program, which in turn allowed her to go back to the hospital because they had an opening. And since she'd already been there, they were willing to take her back. So the first time it happened was January. The next time it happened, it was January almost to the day that she went in the last time. 
Wow. Yeah. So um, you have to be admitted and then you have to write up this elevator to the floor that she's on. And I'm embarrassed that I did this, but um, I was, I was angry with her. I shouldn't have been, but I was angry. I think I was more angry with myself, but you know, I took it out of my kid. And um, I said, well, it must be nice whenever you just need a break. You just call hotel, blah, 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 and check in, right? And I, I, as soon as I said it, I realized I was so petty. And I couldn't take it back. Um, and they checked her in again, kept her a week. Um, but this time she told me, I don't want you to visit me, mom. I want you to leave me alone for a week. I just want you to leave me alone. And I don't want you to come visit me. So I, yeah. And you know, at this point she's, she's 14, right? So I said, okay, I, I will honor that request. However, I will not, um, I'll leave you alone, but I will be continually checking in with the nurses to make sure that you're okay. And um, we were allowed to leave them quarters to make phone calls to us because they didn't have a they didn't have their cell phones, but they had a payphone there, so I could give the quarters to the nurses, and then they would give them the quarters to make their phone calls. So I left her alone. The entire week, um, I decided, well, I'll just work while um, I was going through this. I was still at the same place at that point, and um, I just did the best I could. That must have been um, such a hard week, and it must have been so hard to honor that request while you, I'm sure, were sitting there thinking about her every minute of every day, worried and concerned and unable to help. Well, and then of course, the last thing I said to her was so mean. Right. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was, I was actually jealous that she was getting that week to just rest and be herself and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Well, caregiver burnout burnout is so real. And I think, you know, it's such a, the term itself, caregiver burnout, it's, it makes it sound like you need a bubble bath. You know, it doesn't carry the gravity of the fact that you are a parent fighting for the life of your child. And that is, that saps you from every molecule, every cell, every fiber of your being goes into protecting that child. And that level of exhaustion and anxiety and fear is indescribable. And the term caregiver burnout just (laughs) doesn't even come close to describing the weight that you're living with. And so I understand that feeling of, I wish I could just (laughs) lay in a hospital bed and watch TV and have someone take care of me for a week because you have been taking care of not only your daughter and yourself, but probably everyone else in your family too, because- It's, oh God, I, I understand that feeling. I'm, I'm so sorry that that happened and that you went through this and, and obviously you're here talking about this. You came out the other side. So I did. And since it's happened, um, she got better. 
Um, was she only in there for that week again? Yeah, for that week. Um, she did one more, you know, one more week there in January. And then the following January was the hardest month of my life (laughs) because I started to, to associate January with my daughter's going to the hospital. Right. Right. Um, She's been on medicine. Um, she's seen a psychiatrist, um, throughout the rest of her high school career. She's since then graduated from high school and doing very well. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. And her, her and I both have had our fair share of therapy since then. And we've also realized mental health is something you have to work on. It's, you know, you have a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. It's part of you, but it doesn't have to define you. It's more of something we learn to care for and control. It's not something we get rid of, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes we have to take it a day at a time, sometimes an hour at a time, and we get through it. Um, so I, I do have a happy ending for mine. Since then, since I've gone through my or, ordeal, I've been doing a lot of research on younger children and mental health and the lack of help out there for the this younger generation. And um, since our pandemic, kids are coming out the other side and statistically anxiety, depression, and other illnesses have increased by 155%. Wow. Since this is stunning. And stunning. School counselors are overwhelmed. They the amount of students coming to see them is unbelievable. The upside is at least kids are willing to talk about it and they're at least trying to get some of the help they need. A lot of the problems that kids have stem from what's going on with their parents. A lot of them are needing therapy because they need to help their parents. (laughs) I I guess this, I guess this is a, oops, we better look inside at ourselves. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you say that because I do think looking, looking generationally, our parents never would have even considered therapy. Right. And then Uh -uh. our generation Uh were more accepting of it. There's less of a yeah. stigma. We can talk about it more, especially since COVID has really brought yeah. the idea of mental health care into the light, so to speak. But our children, man, they are so emotionally aware. They yes. have the vocabulary yes. that we didn't. No. They know how to yeah. describe their feelings. They know how to describe what they're experiencing. And like your daughter, they know how to get help for it. And they are going to fight to get help for it. Whereas I feel like our generation has to be convinced that it's okay to get help for it. And even when we are convinced, we don't necessarily know how to ask for it or how to find it. So I think every generation is just, or at least maybe that's my hope. Every generation is going to continue to get better and better at recognizing how important this is and how to get help for it. As a parent whose child has gone through this and you having gone through this with her, 
what advice would you give now to parents of younger children who maybe are seeing their children start to exhibit some of these signs and symptoms or red flags, or they're just kind of concerned and don't know that anything's wrong, but you know, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, if you do notice there's a change in your child, definitely visit your pediatrician or your family doctor first, um, because there are, you want to make sure that physically the child is okay. Mm -hmm. And once you know that they're physically okay, they can give you references or referrals. One thing I'd mentioned earlier, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. I'm noticing there's a lot of programs out there. Most of them are privately run and funded. There's books out there now. And um, we need to start introducing cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy into schools. There's more feelings than mad, sad, happy. You know, there's a lot more than just those three emotions. And a lot of people associate almost everything with those. And like you said, our, our kids are, they're amazing. They're smart. They're, they've sat there and watched and observed for so long. They know more than we think they do. And I think as a nation and as parents, we need to recognize that we can start to help our kids. And by introducing these concepts or wanting your schools to, you know, what type of program are you, do you have any mental healthy kids program started at the school? There's an SEL program, there's videos, there's books, there's all these different things that can be introduced to your school. I mean, obviously I would always, I would always recommend a parent does this personally with their child. And it's still good to get the school involved because then there's that camaraderie between you and the school and you're working together to make sure that not only your child is healthy, but the other children there around are healthy also. Right, exactly. Offering these resources to children who may not be as privileged as you are to be able to access them. And the way we can get that information and those resources to parents and children who don't have the same privilege that we do is through the school systems. If we can get those resources into the school systems, into, say, the public libraries, into Mm -hmm. these um, societal foundational organizations we mm-hmm. can then share this information, share this knowledge, share this learning with people who might otherwise not be able to access it. And that is so important, especially when the medical system itself is so difficult to navigate. Yes. And just imagine if if we start our children at these young ages and they're able to develop their own coping mechanisms that are healthy. I mean, our next generation can be very, it can be a healthy generation. And maybe we wouldn't need as much medicine or as much therapy or even the hospitalization um, needing that break if they're able to recognize it early on. I mean, there's no reason our younger generations can't be healthy. We really can change the future in a positive way. We can, we can. and um, but it takes one person at a time. And the fact that There's parents out there that are fighting for their kids and those kids are also fighting for their health. That's where we start. That's where we start. Mm -hmm. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for being here with us today and for sharing your story. I really appreciate this. And I wish you and your daughter all the best of luck. And we are going to put the information to how to find you, connect with you and 
uh, buy your book in our show notes. So listeners okay. go to the show notes and we'll share all that information. Beautiful. Thank, Thank you, you again, Tammy. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources and a link to join your village, our Facebook community. Catch you next time.